Hey, good morning, church. It's great to be here. Uh, and from that little bumper video, you would know that we are currently in this series called Under One Roof. And really, when we were thinking about this series, one of the intent was to specifically talk about the family kind of relationships. And if you're residing in Malaysia, you're tuning in right now, and you're residing in Malaysia, you would probably know that we have uh, recently sort of come down, sort of uh, come out from a very long lockdown. Right? And I don't know about you, but I find that this lockdown has created a very wide range of family situations at home. So you have, on one side of the pendulum, you have families who, because they're stuck at home 24-7, wow, they got so close, they bonded so well. And if that's your family, I'm so happy for you, I really am. Because what a privilege that is. And then somewhere in the middle of the spectrum, you have people like, Perhaps like me, young working adult, for the past seven months, I wasn't able to go back home to my family. It's sort of a struggle and, you know, all the time we only can interact through screens. And though we try to call every week, you probably know it's different. It feels very different to interact with family through screen. You want to, you know, sometimes you've got argument and all that, you argue to screen. Also, it feels different, you know. And then on the far side of the pendulum then, so you got those who are good, those who are middle, struggle, but, you know, bearing okay. But then on the other far side of the pendulum, you have families who perhaps because of the whole COVID situation, their family is almost like in a disaster. You know, I've got people coming to tell me, Jason, you know, my life now is horrible. In fact, they didn't use the word horrible, they used another harsher word, right? So they said, my life is horrible. And you know why? It wasn't because of COVID. It wasn't because of uh, studies or work or whatnot. It was because of family. And I think one of the saddest was, recently I got to know of a friend whom, uh, he's a young working adult, all right? And because of this COVID situation, one thing led to another and he had to go back to his hometown, right? And that sounds like a great thing, but actually it was Maybe for him, one of the worst possible situations to happen because when he went back home, tensions were high. There were just so many blaming here, trying to push uh, responsibilities here and there. Uh, a lot of negative emotions going on. And recently, that friend of mine started to have this thought and he actually verbalized it out. Sometimes, I just wish my family member was dead. You know, church, that is a harsh reality for some of the people out there. And maybe that might also be the reality for some of you tuning in right now. And though we try to cater this series to as uh, uh, wide of a range of people as possible, I find that this series is going to be particularly significant, meaningful, and powerful, especially for those in that category. You know, last week, Pastor Tim started us off with this series, talking about submit to one another, and I thought uh, it was a great word. Uh, I like our Pastor Tim. He really gave some practical handles, some practical questions we can ask uh, to find out really how uh, someone else is feeling, what they prefer, and how we can better serve them. Uh, but what I love most about what Pastor Tim talked about was how he highlighted that when Jesus came, Jesus elevated the commandment to love others like yourself, to loving others like how Jesus loves us. Such a powerful thing. And I find that that little statement, we need to remember that because it sets the stage, it sets the stone for the rest of the entire series. And for today, I'm tasked to talk about forgiving one another. 
So under one roof, forgiving one another. And really, when you look through the Bible, I think the biblical emphasis on forgiveness is very clear. In fact, I'm going to highlight uh, two verses. And these two verses were written by Paul when he was under house arrest in Rome. So he was waiting to meet the emperor. And then he wrote uh, four letters, all right? And out of these four letters, interestingly, two of these letters contain two very similar sentences. You know, if you are a young working adult who recently graduated from uni, uh, you'd probably remember the struggle of having to write many different reports uh, or theses and whatnot. And one of the biggest struggles is always to paraphrase. And if you've written enough, what you realize is, after a while, your biggest worry is not, wait, did I paraphrase this article correctly? Is did I paraphrase so that I don't sound like uh, my other Assignment. I don't know about you, but I struggle there a lot. I read my, this assignment one and I realize my assignment two. Oh, it sounds similar. So, you know, when I read this, I felt a bit like that. I felt like Paul was trying to uh, re rephrase, paraphrase what he's trying to say, but really it's the same thing. And I'm going to read it for you. Uh, and it reads this in Colossians 3. It says, Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Ephesians 4 says, Forgiving one another. You, you can see, right, the similarity there, forgiving each other, forgiving one another, uh, as God in Christ forgave you. You know, what's interesting is Paul wrote this, almost similar sentence. In fact, they are legit really talking about the same thing. To do different categories, two different groups of people in two different letters. And I almost felt like Paul was saying, guys, this is such an important thing that as many people as possible need to hear. In fact, it wasn't just Paul who talked about forgiveness. Jesus himself also talked about forgiveness. Uh, I just realized this is not the updated slide, but bear with me. Uh, so Matthew 6, Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not, now this is a really high stake thing, okay? Take note. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And the next verse, in fact, is not Romans 12, it's actually uh, Mark 11. But Mark 11 says, Whenever you send praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. You know, if you are familiar with role-playing games, I know, potentially some of you, you're like, what is that, right? Uh, but, you know, in a, in a typical role-playing game, you have such a thing called a main quest. So a main quest is basically what you are supposed to do, your main goal to get through the game. And then besides the main quest, you have things called side quests. So side quests are things like, you know, if I have the time, if I have the energy, if I have the resources, if I feel like it, then I will do it. And here's why I shared that little analogy. Forgiving others, forgiving one another is not a side quest, guys. It's not something we do when we feel like it. It's not something we do when we can. Ah, if I can forgive, I will try to forgive her. No, no, no. Forgiveness, forgiving one another is such a critical, significant thing in the way Christians ought to relate to one another. In fact, when we talk about forgiveness, we are not just talking about an emotional thing. It's not just talking about feeling, but in Romans 12, which is the next verse that says, uh, it gives a very practical insight, a very practical handle to forgiving others. It says, repay no one evil for evil. That's a very practical thing. But give thought 
That's a cognitive thing, in fact. Uh, what is honourable in the sight of all? You see that forgiving others really has a practical element to it, has a cognitive element to it, besides just an emotional element. That's forgiveness. And when I was trying to piece through uh, this topic on forgiveness, I realised one of the scary things about unforgiveness is this. Unforgiveness, I find, is able to breed bitterness. And bitterness, I find, is often able to grab hold and control our destiny. Let me give you a story. You know, I had a friend uh, whom I was once chatting with, and he asked me this question. He said, Jason, do you know why I study this particular course, this particular uni course? Now, of course, uh, I didn't know, so I asked, yeah, why? why? Why are you studying that? And he began to tell me this story, right? And I kid you not, I'm not exaggerating this story at all, though you may feel like, wow, this is almost like a Netflix drama kind of a story. So what happened was this. When he was a high school student, he had a teacher that he really looked up to. A female teacher, in fact, right? Uh, what happened was there was a group of boys who took an inappropriate picture of the teacher, right? Either out of rebellion, mischievous and whatnot, they took an inappropriate picture of the teacher and the teacher felt so embarrassed and crushed after that. She left the school the week after. Immediately just left, resigned, boom. And of course, the boys got punished and all that. But what was very interesting was, this friend of mine who saw that, maybe he felt powerless at the time to do anything. But he decided in his heart, I'm going to work very hard. And I want you to follow through with this. He said, I'm going to work very hard. I'm going to study this particular course and I'm going to make sure I become someone powerful so that eventually uh, I can make sure the children of this group of boys never receive education. Of course, I'm sitting there. I, I almost thought to myself, somebody better call the police, man. This is like the birth of Thanos. Uh, but it was a very crazy and scary thing. And what was most scary is, you know, I'm not saying that what the boys did was right. Of course, what they did was wrong. But in response to their action, this friend did not go like, okay, you know what? I'm going to fight uh, to make sure that uh, mistreatment towards the opposite gender does not happen anymore. Uh, he did not go like, okay, I'm going to make sure, I'm going to teach the younger generation how to respect and honour other people. No, 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 that wasn't his response. His response was, I'm going to specifically target these people, in fact, not these people, because I know by then maybe I can't do much, but I'm going to target their children and I'm going to make sure they don't receive education. That was his life's goal. For him, that is his destiny. It, it shaped him so much that it dictated what uni course he would study. That, guys, is what happens when bitterness is allowed to fully grow in our lives. It grabs hold of our destiny. And I think one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about forgiving one another today is to make sure none of us land at that spot. You know, when we talk about forgiveness, uh, one of the stories in the Bible uh, that often comes to mind is really Joseph's story. Uh, and we are also going to look at his story today. And really, the reason why a lot of people like to use his story for forgiveness is because he has such a powerful testimony on what it's like to forgive an unforgivable group of people. Now, uh, I know for some of you tuning in, you might have people who are already so familiar with Joseph's story. 
And then you might have people who are really not familiar with Joseph's story. So I'm going to try to summarize it with five uh, things. Okay, and then after I summarize, I'm going to continue the story from there, right? So the first thing you need to know is that Joseph was his father's favorite son. And his father was not shy to show that. In fact, the father made a robe of many colors just for Joseph. to say, hey, this is my favorite son. And part of, you know, all that favoritism going on, it led to the second thing, which is his many brothers, and he had many brothers, all right? Uh, Eleven older brothers did not like him. Of course, Right? They get, uh, he gets a father's attention, he gets a father's affection, uh, and they did not like him. And one thing led to another. They eventually sold him to become a slave in Egypt. Which brings me to the third point. Joseph was enslaved for a very long period of time. In fact, his story when he was enslaved really got worse and worse and worse. So at first as a slave, he started off, you know, doing pretty well. And then after a while, he was framed for rape. And then because of that, he was in prison, thrown into prison. And then in the prison, he met people that might give him an opportunity to come out. But what happened was that person forgot about Joseph and then Joseph remained in the prison, the Bible says, for two more years. So in total, he went through really that enslavement, imprisonment for a total of 13 years. You know, I lead the teens. Some teens complain, uh, uh, one year uh, stuck at home, you know, in the comfort of home, so nice, got aircon some more. It's already a horrible thing to them. Well, guess what? Joseph was stuck being a slave, prison, total of 13 years. That's crazy. But the fourth thing was this. Again, I'm summarizing a lot. Please find time to go and read it yourself. It's a fascinating story. One thing led to another, but Pharaoh had a dream and Joseph was able to interpret the dream. And the dream was regarding a time of prosperity and a time of famine. And because uh, Pharaoh thought, wow, this Joseph has wisdom, able to interpret the dream, uh, Pharaoh decided to elevate Joseph overnight from prisoner to governor, second most powerful person in Egypt. And Joseph's role then was to govern uh, basically the preservation of food and also the distribution of food during the famine. And then finally, we come to the fifth point. The fifth point was this, because the famine was just so severe across the land, Joseph's brothers, they too had to go to Egypt to buy grain. And eventually you can read, it's through a, a very interesting drama. I'm long story short, they reconciled. Uh, Joseph forgave them. And then Joseph's father was also brought to Egypt. And they lived there for 17 years. Okay, 17 years before what? before Joseph's father eventually passed away. So that's really a summary, and I'm going to pick up the story from where I left off, which is after that 17 years, when Joseph's father passed away. Let me try to click the next uh, slide, but it's not working out. All right. So the story continues to say this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead. So imagine this is after 17 years, all right? They say, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Now, you may look at this and you may wonder, hey, Jason, 17 years anyway, that's a pretty long time. Why are they still scared? Now, there's a little backdrop to this and to understand, you need to get to know Joseph's father, Jacob, and his brother Esau. You see, Jacob and Esau, they also had a little tension. 
long story short, what happened was Esau really hated Jacob and Esau made this sort of like a wow. He said, when my father, so when Esau's father passed away, Esau said, I'm going to kill Jacob. D- do you see the similarity there? When my father dies, I'm going to kill my brother. And because of that, uh, you can go and read Jacob fled. He ran away. And you can imagine that as his sons grew up, he might have told that story again and again. And eventually, he brought his whole family back to meet Esau. And you can see Jacob was terrified. And you can imagine the sons might be going, oh, Dad, why are you so scared? Then he will be telling the story again and again. So you can imagine why, now that the father died, they were especially worried. Because, hey, this is like the same scenario between our dad and our uncle. Now, we are at the wrath, at the mercy of our brother. And they were so terrified that in the next verse, he says, so they sent a message to Joseph now. This doesn't mean that they went to Joseph, you know. They actually sort of sent a messenger to Joseph. They were so afraid to face Joseph. And says, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Now, there are some commentaries that actually say uh, this statement uh, may be made up completely, okay? Now, we are not going to debate whether it's made up, whether it's truth, but uh, he continues, so please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father, What's most interesting was Joseph's response. Keep in mind, these brothers, and later I'm going to highlight just exactly how evil that action was, all right? Keep in mind all of that. Joseph could have went, Oi, you gave me a good idea. I'm maybe going to, uh, you know, make your life miserable. I was enslaved for 13 years. You need to suffer for at least 13 years. I give you discount, six years. Did Joseph do that? He did not. Did Joseph uh, go and say, hey, yeah, you see, you see, you see? Look at what you did. You should feel very guilty about it. You should. Did Joseph do that? No. Joseph's response was, he wept. What's most interesting was, when he wept, if you look at verse 18, his brothers also came before him. There was something about the way Joseph cried that maybe demonstrated such great affection that his brothers were once very afraid of Joseph, now Sonny dared to draw close to him. And then I'm going to really land at the next few lines that Joseph talked about and try to offer three perspectives to better understand why Joseph was able to forgive. And maybe in that, help all of us to also land at a spot where we are able to forgive one another. So in response to what the brothers said, the first thing Joseph said was this, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? You know, I find the difficult thing about forgiveness is this. If you're like me, sometimes I struggle with forgiveness because I want the person to know how badly I'm hurt because of them. I want them to feel the pain as well, and if better yet, feel double of what I felt. Sometimes, maybe it's not we want the revenge, but we want them to feel very guilty and know that they wrong us. So we maybe we try to guilt treat them. We use words that are very manipulative to make them feel very guilty. Why? Because the point is this. I want you to know how much I have hurt. And I think that's why forgiveness is so tough. Because if you think about it, a lot of times the root of unforgiveness is that I want justice for myself and I'm going to bring it. But somehow Joseph recognized that's not his place. 
And maybe part of forgiving is also to realize that's not our place either. You know, a couple of years back, I had a very close friend and I truly cared for this guy. I remember there was once he was really sick. It was like 12 a.m. or something like that. I did not have a car at that time, but he needed to go to the hospital. So I went around my hostel asking people that I really don't know, hey, do you have a car that I could borrow? Do you have a car that I could borrow? You can imagine how, you know, I have to be so thick-faced to ask strangers, hey, can you lend me your car? But eventually I found a car, I drove him to the hospital and he got the medicine and all that. Sungai Bulo Hospital, very far away. Uh, so I really cared for him. But because of uh, a few things that happened, all right, which I won't uh, share too much, but what happened eventually was he started to spread uh, different lies about me to different uh, people in my social group. So to person A, he will tell about Jason version A, which is totally wrong one. And then to person B, he will tell Jason version B, and then so on and so forth. And of course, uh, I did not realize at the time until uh, I started to notice, hey, how come all my friends uh, suddenly start to stay away from me, suddenly start to distance themselves away from me, and that's when I thought things were very weird. And that's when I began to find out, alamak, oh no, he has been spreading these different news to different people. And all of it was a misrepresentation of who I am. At that moment, honestly, I could have taken revenge. Oh, you want to badmouth me? I'm going to show you how to badmouth. I can do it way better than you. I'm going to show you what it feels like to lose all your friends. I could have tried that. But by the grace of God, I decided, you know what? He's my friend. And you know what? I'm not going to take revenge. I'm not going to try to bring justice into this picture. Of course, whenever needed, I clarify. But I just went on doing what I was supposed to do as a student at the time, which is study the best I can. Fast forward a couple of months later, I really don't know how, but the truth began to unfold by itself. I think one of the reasons was the friends started to cross-check their notes. Hey, he said this. Hey, no, he told me this. And that's when they realized, oi, we have received wrong information, all of us. And eventually he was exposed and guess what? The moment he was exposed, right? The next semester, he immediately left the country to study somewhere else. Uh, kid you not, that was the story. And when I look back at that, I thank God that, again, by the grace of God, I knew my place. And somehow God was the one to bring about justice. I did not have to. But I trusted in the Lord to make things right. Do we know our place when it comes to forgiveness? Because that's very important. And the second thing was this. Joseph continued, As for you, you meant evil against me. You know, just now I talk about how bad the brothers were. If you read, right, the Bible, actually, what happened was, they uh, tore his, when, when Joseph came to the brothers, they tore his robe of many colors, and then they threw him into a pit. And then when Joseph was crying for help in the pit, you know what the brothers were doing? The brothers were not like, hey, what should we do? What should we do? I feel very guilty. Should we save him? No, no, no. The, jo the brothers uh, were eating. Wow, makano. Really good food. How can you eat and enjoy eating while your brother is in the pit screaming for help? You know, I don't deny the fact that sometimes the people that wrong us, they really are in the wrong. I don't deny that. But I want to draw our attention not just to look at Joseph's brothers, but to also look at their moms. And I, I got a point with this that I'm trying to get at. You know, Joseph's moms were Leah and Rachel. 
And if you know the story, Leah and Rachel, they were sisters and they were wives of uh, Jacob, the father. And they too had a very serious, bitter viral, uh, rivalry, right? What happened was Rachel was Jacob's favorite wife. And Leah was, of course, upset with that. And to try to get her husband's affection, she would try to give birth to sons. And then Rachel, of course, wanted to be part of the competition. And it got so intense that when they could not give birth, they would bring their maidservant and say, hey, husband, why not you sleep with my maidservant? And then their kid, my score, my score. And I find that really the bitterness of the whole situation was best demonstrated in one of the sentences uh, that Leah made to Rachel. You know, there was once uh, Leah's son, Reuben, was coming back with mandrakes. And then Rachel asked, can I have some of those mandrakes? And Leah said, you already took away my husband. Now you want to take away my son's mandrakes. Can you just hear the sting behind that statement? And here's, very, uh, here's what's interesting. Who was the one having the mandrakes? The son. And so you can imagine, as the sons grew up, they saw this happening to their moms, that intense rivalry, trying to get the father's affection. And when you look at that, Sunny, now, maybe we have an extra amount of grace to understand why maybe the brothers were such. And I want to try to highlight this. Yes, they might be in the wrong, but there's a bigger issue here, which is that ultimately there is a larger problem, and the problem is this. We are living in a fallen world. We are. You know, uh, when I was younger, now, me and my dad, now we have a great relationship. But when we were younger, it was pretty rocky, right? And I remember there was once, my dad scolded and pulled my ear in front of my group of friends and scolded me very badly. And kid you not, that scarred me for a good number of years. In fact, my entire teenage years. So much so that I would intentionally make sure that my friends never get to meet my parents. Because I always... I'm, I'm so afraid. It's traumatized when my friends are together with my parents. But of course, now we have reconciled. But what was very interesting was, a couple of years back, I got to talk with one of my relatives and understand a bit about my family background. So this relative is very old. I love talking and finding out about my family history. What happened was, I began to understand that my dad also grew up in a pretty difficult relationship with his dad. Of course, down the road, they reconciled. But while growing up, it was also very tough physical beating uh, and scolding, very fierce and all that. So now, suddenly I look at that. I start to have a certain grace to understand why my father was like that during the early years. Now, you may say, hey, Jason, in that case, it's your grandfather's fault. But actually, no. That's not a full story. Because when my grandfather was very young, his, great -grand uh, his father, that means my great-grandfather, one day woke up, left the house, abandoned the family, just never came back. And therefore, my grandfather had to grow up without a father. You may look at that and now say, ah, then I know the, the puzzle to the mystery is your great-grandfather, he should not have abandoned. It caused that whole train of chaos and destruction and, and tough relationships. But here's the thing. My great-grandfather's father, that means my great-great-grandfather, was a very physically violent man. He would beat his children when he's upset. And this relative of mine, so happened, he knew my great-great-grandfather and he said, the relationship between your great-great-grandfather and your great-grandfather was horrendous. Now, at this point, you may say, okay, Jason, Jason, I got it, I got it. Like that, it's your great-great-grandfather that started all this mess. But the thing was this, my great-great-grandfather 
Now, some of you may be like, wow, Jason, how you know so far down? Uh, yeah, I got to talk to my relative, right? Uh, my great-great-grandfather traveled from China to Malaysia as an orphan. And really, he grew up in the streets. It was almost like survival of the fittest. And when you look at all that, suddenly you realize, hey, I don't know who to point the finger to. And the truth is this. Sometimes it's very difficult because we are all living in this fallen world. And sometimes in this fallen world, broken people may break people and hurt people may hurt other people. And when we get that, then maybe, just maybe, we are able to have that extra ounce of grace to give forgiveness to those who have wronged us. And the last part of it is this. Joseph said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Third perspective is this. There's a plan and a purpose. God's plan and a purpose. Now you may read that verse and say, hey, Jason, but I did not feel any good came my way. I did not. For the longest time after this person wronged me, I did not feel any good came my way. And that may be very true. I got to say that that may be very true. But I find Joseph's next line gave a very powerful perspective. He said, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You know, I find the truth is this. Sometimes, in this whole situation of being wrong, yes, I believe that God has a way to purpose it and bring about a good plan. But sometimes the goodness does not come to us, but through us to others. You know, let me end with a story and then just a couple of verses. So, just now I talk about my friend who, who sort of lied and and made me appear, misrepresent me to everybody and I lost all my friends. When I think back about the incident, I can't think of any good that came to me from the incident. I really could not. The truth is that ever since then, I used to love big social groups, but ever since then, I stay away from social groups already. I did feel very hurt and it was hard to reconcile with all the different friends. But just recently, I had a call with a teen so I lead the teens ministry, right? So I had a call with a teen. And this teen shared, you know, Jason, I feel very down lately because I have a friend whom I showed an act of kindness. But the friend took the act of kindness, phrased it into a very wrong way and spread rumours around the class uh, and made me look very bad and like a joke. And he said, I felt so betrayed. And because of that, I lost all of my friends except just one friend. Sounds similar or not? Quite similar, right, between my story and his. And as I hear, I begin to have that extra ability to empathize with him. And of course, I gave him some, some uh, counsel and all that. But at the end of the call, there was a very long pause. And after that very long pause, he said, thank you, Jason. You know, I don't know why there was a long pause or whatnot, but I believe because of my past experience, I was able to empathize and meet him exactly where he's at. Was the good to me? No. But I believe the good came through me to that team. And maybe similarly to all of us here, some of the experiences that we go through, we may be wondering, what is the good in store? Maybe not to you, but through you to others. 
And I think when we realize, I'm going to bring it to a close now, when we realize that three little lenses, we realize our place. Our place is not to judge. Our place is not to bring vengeance, try to uh, bring justice to ourselves. When we realize man's problem, we are living in a fallen world where hurt people may hurt other people. And when we realize God's plan and purpose, that there is a goodness that will come, but maybe the goodness is not to us, but through us to others, then perhaps we can have that extra ounce of grace to forgive others and respond like how Joseph did. He said this, do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Do you see that Joseph did not just say, hey, I forgive you, I forgive you. But his forgiveness was demonstrated in a very practical manner. He provided for them, he comforted them, and he spoke kindly to them. Now I want to draw it to a close by linking back to what Pastor Tim talked about last week. Where Jesus told us to love others like how he has loved us. You know, sometimes we may look at Jesus' command to forgive others as, as a very scary thing. Some of us, we may look at it and we may ignore it. I don't see, don't see, it. that words don't exist in my Bible. Some of us, we may look at it and we may be very upset at it. We may feel so unfair. But I hope as I end, we will look at that verse and we will find comfort. Comfort knowing what? Knowing that Jesus himself demonstrated forgiveness when he was on the cross in the most excruciating, painful, unfair situation, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Jesus demonstrated for us what it was like to forgive. Let's do likewise for others. Let me close this with a prayer. God, we are reminded today that it's true that there may be people that wrong us. It's true. There may be people that intended evil to us, that's true. But I pray that we will realize, number one, our place. We are not the ones to bring vengeance. We are not the ones to try to bring justice to ourselves. We leave that to your hands. We will realize that ultimately we live in a fallen world. And in this fallen world, we have hurt people that hurt other people. And lastly, we are reminded that God, you have a plan and purpose to bring about goodness. And sometimes the goodness is not to us, but through us to others. And if all else fails, God, then we will look to Jesus to remember that Jesus himself demonstrated forgiveness in the most excruciating, painful, unfair situations. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.